For those of you who don't know me, my name is Laura, and uh, I'm sharing with you guys this morning. Uh, as Steve mentioned before, this is the second Sunday in um, a series that we're doing at the moment called Every Day. And the idea of that is that we're going through the book of Acts and looking at different things in Acts. So last week, Dan spoke on the Holy Spirit. Um, we're going to have talks on prayer, on transformation, and today I'm talking about community. And uh, looking at how do each of those things, which can seem quite abstract, fit in and permeate into our everyday lives. So as we're just going about doing our thing, how do these things fit in? Where is their place? Um, and each of these objects on these plinths, that's a great word, isn't it? Plinth. Each of these objects uh, represents one of the talks. So as Steve said before, last week, Dan had the fan. Dan with a fan. And uh, this week, I am this lovely piece of turf just here. And I'm hoping that you will see throughout my talk the connection with the piece of turf. If not, come see me at the end. It's fine. Um, the beginning of where this starts, though, with the turf is the meaning of the word community itself. So to be in community means to have something in common with someone. That you're gathered around, a community around a something, a piece of common ground. Um, the idea that, that you find common ground between people. And uh, often, if you're in a community, you will know, and us sat in this room are in a community of some sort, you will know that sometimes discovering that common ground can be difficult. And it is a process of discovering. Um, if you were um, someone who just landed in this room, you might look around this room and think, well, the people in here are very, very different people. Maybe it's not a community that should work, but it does, because we have the common ground that the most percent in this room believe uh, in Jesus and we believe in God, that God's doing stuff in our lives, and that is our common ground. But equally in a community, there are people that are more challenging than others, and uh, it's those people that sometimes we can struggle to find that common ground with, and it really is sometimes a discipline of discovering common ground with people. There is something within each individual that we can find common ground with. And it's not always easy. Sometimes it's a discipline. For those of you who know me even a little bit, uh, you will know that I love playing games. I'm not necessarily picky about my game. I just love games. And um, there's uh, the different areas of games, aren't there? There's the hide-and-seek kind of game. And then there's the board game. And uh, I want to talk to you this morning about my favourite board game. And um, for those of you who maybe left the house this morning thinking... I really hope God changes and transforms my life at church. This might be your moment. Um, I'm going to put uh, a game on the screen uh, in a second. And uh, this game is some way, a game for me that is very significant. Uh, could we have the picture up? Now, this, ladies and gentlemen, is the Settlers of Catan. For those of you who aren't familiar with the game, the board game cover probably isn't making you quiver with excitement. It's okay. Uh, if we look at the board itself, this is the game that a lot of my time is spent around, uh, changing wood and sheep for bricks and ore and building settlements. I can tell you're excited. Um, you know, Catan is a really funny game because you'll play it and, um, and you'll be talking to someone else. And the, it, it surprises me who plays Catan. She'll be in a conversation with someone, oh, yeah, yeah, we play Catan. <gasps> you play Catan? And all of a sudden, this world's opened up to you. Um, it's almost like a secret society. If you play Catan out of interest, can you just put your hand up? If you're a, Catan, a fellow Catan player, brothers and sisters, hello, yes. Um, do you know, I did that in a youth venue last summer. 15 to 18 year olds, about 1,000 young people there. And I actually asked them to stand. I said, stand if you play Catan. And all the 
young people stood up. And I'm not sure if it happened in real life or if it happened in my head, but there was cheering and there was clapping. And these young people were looking around, delighted that they'd found fellow Catan players. Now, the common ground that you find doesn't have to be big. For me, genuinely, this game has built friendship for me. This game has built community. There are people that I've spent time with that I probably wouldn't have otherwise spent time with sat around this board game. And I'm not saying that my relationship with them goes no deeper than that. This is a foundation. You then build upon it. But the amount of of friendships and relationships that have benefited from finding one bit of common ground and then finding things to build around that is incredible. Thank you so much. You know, we sometimes feel that we really have to work at this, and we do. But I believe that there is common ground between people, and it's a discipline of discovering it. But community over time has, has really changed, I think, this, this whole notion of community and common ground. Um, if you'd have asked two generations ago, okay, who is your community? What is your community? People might have said, oh, the people that live along my street or the people who live next door to me. If you ask that same question today, you'd probably get a very different answer. Um, you might say, uh, it might say the people on my street, you might say your neighbours. It might be the people that you go to school or college with. It might be the people that you work with. So actually, your community uh, is someone in the same industry as you or someone in your workplace. Your community might be parents that you see in the morning when you're taking your children to school. It might be the people that you meet up with for Zumba or for football. Your community might even be online. It might be a group of people that you've never actually met in person, but that's your community. That's who you spend time communicating with and finding common ground with. Community is this shifting thing, and I think as a church, we really need to be aware of where community is heading. Because if we as a church are called to be community and engage in community, we need to know what is actually happening in community. So I want to spend just two seconds, probably a little bit longer, nearer two minutes if I'm honest, talking about this idea of the internet and community over the internet. Social networking may not be for everyone, but it affects quite a lot of people and it will certainly affect the community in the future. Um, I would say most people who are 30 and under, their communication and their ability to build community is affected by social networking. I'm going to talk about Facebook particularly because that's one that's kind of a general one that most people know about. There are obviously others. um, There's Twitter and all sorts of different things. But for Facebook particularly, it will affect how community is built. If you think of people sort of under 16, the amount of time that they spend on Facebook, kind of, I would say, 12 to 16, although you're not supposed to be on it if you're too young, um, but their their relationships are largely built around this networking website. And um, in... 1984, a load of people were asked, how many close friends do you have, okay? So people that you really trust, people that you rely on, a confidant, how many of those do you have? And the answer was, oh, I have approximately 2.94. I'm not sure what happened to the 0.6. But there's this kind of this idea that you have about three really close friends. 20 years later, after the influence of social networking, the same question's asked, how many really close friends do you have? And the answer comes... 2.08. In 20 years, due to the influence of social networking, we have misplaced a whole friend. That's a serious problem. It's this kind of interesting idea that people are beginning to have less deep, like real deep relationships, deep connections, and much more shallow connections. We are more connected now than we have ever been. I can sit on my computer and write a status and it will go out to over a thousand people. Over a thousand people will see that I am eating a sandwich and they are thrilled to know that. But you know, the interesting thing is, 
but it affects how we see relationship as well. Because when I write a status, I'm not telling something to a friend. I'm performing. I'm writing something to my audience. My audience of 100 plus, whatever it is, Facebook friends you have. What you're informing people of, you're technically saying down a microphone. And so you don't tell anyone anything. You perform it to them. And they receive it. And so this, again, will affect how community is shaped in the future. This ability to have real, genuine conversation because most of what you put up there from your life is actually a performance. And again, I think, um, please don't get me wrong, I think Facebook has also done loads of positive stuff for community. Really, really, really has. Um, But I think these are just things we need to be aware of. Uh, Another one would be that it's a cost-free way of having friendship. So I can look at my newsfeed, I can see that someone has had a really bad day. They're really struggling. They've they've put it up as their status. And um, I can just get on with eating my crisps because it doesn't matter that much because I'm watching television. It's a cost-free way of staying connected. You don't have to, you, you probably, you'll acknowledge that they've had a bad day, but you don't actually have to do anything about it. You've not actually got to have a conversation, ask them, pretend to care, all that kind of thing. You just see it, you're informed, and you get on with your day. And all of this is the sort of standard um, platform of communication that a lot of young people are using now. And this is how our community will be shaped and influenced as they grow older. And we as the church need to be really aware of that, because I think even now it does have an impact. However, like I say, I do think Facebook has amazing positives as well. When Facebook um, was first launched, Zuckerberg, who who put it up, um, said, I want it to be the main communication platform, which is definitely there if not getting there and I also want it to be a massive marketing platform and again it is that but the relationship between marketing and community is fascinating I think I found this amazing quote um this idea of advertising consumerism marketing and community it says um consumerism is the enemy of community because community demands assuming responsibility for people I'm going to read that again consumerism is the enemy of community Because community demands assuming responsibility for people. If you think about the message that we get from consumerism, it's that you need this. You need it now, and you deserve it. And if it means that someone else has to suffer for you to get it, well, that's not not that big a problem as long as you end up with it in the end. It's this idea that you need more. You deserve this. You should have this, and you will never have enough And the fact is that someone will probably suffer because of that, but that's okay. Now, I believe that there is this inbuilt part of humanity that wants to take responsibility for people. Uh, If you you see on the news that there's a famine, if you see people starving in the third world, then there's something inside a human that says, that is not right. Someone needs to do something about that. There's just this inbuilt thing that says, we need to take responsibility. Someone somewhere needs to do something. But at the same time, we have this voice of consumerism saying, oh, it's okay, as long as you've got what you need, you're fine. And the interesting thing is, marketing and advertising has clicked onto it, and so they combine the two. There's fair trade over everything, which is a great thing. I'm not saying any of this is bad, I'm just pointing it out. There's fair trade over everything that says, you know what, if you buy my product because you need it, it's okay because these people over there will benefit. If you buy this X, then we will give one X away so you can feed your want for stuff because we're going to use it to to help out somebody else. There's all these kinds of concepts and ideas that combine this idea of community 
and consumerism at the same time. We're going to watch one more McDonald's advert. Um, this one uh, was uh, on television, I think, about a year ago. Not a little further back, but it was the first half of it was re-released recently. And when you watch it, don't just watch the advert, but I want you to watch it with eyes of how does this promote the idea of consumerism, buying their product, but you don't really see their product, just buying their product, and at the same time, easing this kind of social conscience of community, that your community will benefit if you buy my product. So if you see, there's this idea of ethical consumerism that says, do you know what, if you buy our product, we will, we will pay back to your community. And so actually, you're doing a really good thing by buying our stuff. And we as the church are stood in the middle of this culture. This culture that says you need what you need, what you want, and you need it, and you want it, and you have to have it right now. And then this whole kind of ethical consumerism, and then families falling apart, and all this different stuff going on. And we, as the church of Jesus, are stood right in the middle of it. And God is saying, I have taught you guys, the church, how to be community. And I want you to be community in a broken world. Wow. Could you please, if you have a Bible, take it and turn with me to Acts 2. That's in the second half of the Bible. Um, It's Acts 2. We're going from 42 to 47. Now, this is a model of how Jesus calls church to be community. And it is challenging. And the thing to remember of this is that um, just before this, um, there was the Holy Spirit came down in a big way. And these Christians had an incredible encounter with God. And this is a response. This style of everyday living is a response to an encounter with God. Okay, so we're going from verse 42. They, that's um, the people, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved." If we match up that model of church, which isn't through them trying hard, it's through an encounter with God, matching that up against the church throughout the UK currently, I feel like we have a little way to go, if I'm honest. I'm sure they still had issues, they still had stuff going on, but we, I feel, even if we read, I'm going to read through it again, and I'm just going to see as I read through if God just challenges you on some of this stuff. And if I measure that up as to how I live my life every day, it is a challenge. Okay, here we go. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. Am I devoted to prayer? Mm, I pray. Everyone uh, was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. I'm probably lacking a little on the wonders and miraculous signs. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and their goods, they gave to anyone who had need. At this point, no one wants to make eye contact. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. I really wish my heart was always glad and sincere. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added daily to the number that were being saved. Do you know, this didn't happen through hard work. This happened because they had an encounter with God. Their hearts were transformed, so their community was transformed. That's where this is rooted. 
This is where we need to be heading, which is a big ask. But I want to start a little bit further back from that, because if I'm really honest, when I hear people talk about church community, so the idea of relationship between us as a group of people, what I don't hear people saying is, oh, I'm really struggling. I can't find any more things to sell to give away to the poor. I've, just, I've sold everything, and I've got nothing. What shall I do now? That isn't what I'm hearing, if I'm honest. What I'm hearing is a lot more about this idea of finding common ground. If I'm honest, this idea of fitting in, this idea of being one community together. I want to tell you a quick story. Um, I went to university in Oxford, and there is a subtle thing that you need to know about this. If anyone says to you, I went to university at Oxford, they went to university at Oxford University. If they say to you, I went to university in Oxford, that means they went to Oxford Brooks University. And I am in that second camp. I am Brooks loud and proud, but I didn't want you to think I was more intelligent than I actually am, so I thought I'd share that with you. So, um, I went to university in Oxford, and uh, when I was there, I attended a church. And I went to the same church for three years, which is the time that I was at uni, and it was the same church from the first Sunday at the end of Freshers' Week, so the first week of uni, to the last Sunday that I was in Oxford. And that wasn't always an easy time for me. For the first year of being at that particular church, I found it really difficult, actually. I found it really hard to connect into that community and to fit in. And I felt that if I wasn't there on a Sunday, I wasn't sure that anyone would notice. If I had an issue, if I was really struggling with something, I wasn't really sure who I could go to or who I knew well enough to go to. Um, I just didn't really feel that I had that common ground with people in that church. And so I did what all good Christians do in that situation. I gave God an ultimatum. And I said, do you know what, God? If I am not happy in this church by the end of the summer, I'm off. I'm leaving. I'm going to another church. And God very quickly, very gently responded with, so um, what have you actually sown into this church before you take anything back? And I didn't really like that response, if I'm honest. That wasn't the one I was going for. Um, And it was probably the first time that it had occurred to me that me fitting in and finding common ground in a church wasn't just about how the church treated me. What had I put into that church? What had I really done the discipline of discovering common ground? What had I done to try and find that common ground in that church? And the answer was not a lot. I turned up every Sunday and that was in my mind my quota filled. But I'd not done a lot. Um, and so I thought, right, okay, fine, fine, God, fine, I will play along. What have I got that could be common ground? What could I sow into this community? And the only thing I could think of was that I love young people. So I thought, right, okay, I'm going to join the youth team. I'm going to serve on the youth team, see what happens. But God, just so you know, if I'm not happy by Christmas, I'm off. So, uh, God must really laugh at me sometimes, but that's what I said. And, um, I went, and in September, I served on the youth team. And do you know what? For the remaining two years of my time at church, that youth team were my family. They were my community. It was that youth work that found the common ground. And I spent a lot of time with those guys. I formed friends with them. And that was where I felt that I fitted in. That was where I felt I was part of that community. You know, if you're really struggling to connect into a church, we need to ask ourselves the question, what is it that we're sowing back What is it? How hard are we working in that discipline of discovering common ground? If you um, are struggling or feel like you want to connect in more, a great way is to join a life group. Dan Bennett down here, blue stripy shirt. 
Yes, Dan. He uh, heads up the life groups, and he would love to have a conversation about placing you in a life group. There's life group brochures at the back in the welcome area as well. Also, there's the journey course of tomorrow night, 7.30, downstairs in the coffee shop, which would be another way to start connecting in. But... For those of us who are in the church, for those of us who are already connected, we have a huge responsibility to connect in other people and to work very hard at finding common ground with people who often will come through those doors specifically to find community. On a Sunday, it isn't our job to be in cliques. It is our job to be connecting and the discipline of discovering that common ground with people who walk through the door. Um, this coming week in life groups, uh, you guys are going to be having a meal together in your life groups. So um, the idea is that you go spend time together, you eat together, and hopefully by the end you'll understand why. But the idea will be that the food that you eat is sourced locally. So it might be bought from a local business or a local small shop. Maybe you've grown it yourselves. It could be home baking. Wherever possible, the idea is is that it's brought from the locality rather than a massive chain um, and you guys share food together but from that life group it needs to expand it needs to reach out it needs to be reaching out to people who walk through those church doors and want to meet and have community with us because um, real spirit-filled community isn't about cliques real spirit-filled community expands if you look at verse 47 here um, I'm a bit of 46 they broke bread in their homes ate together with sincere hearts praising God enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved spirit-filled community looks outwards it expands it reaches out it can't be contained and that as the church is what we are called to this expanding community. But if we look at the church in Acts 2, I really think that community is based on a lot more than just finding common ground together. Mm, We both like shoes, let's be friends. It's more than that. It's so much more. Seeing this incredible stuff happen. I think it's based in something else as well. Now, I would love you, if you have a Bible, to turn to 2 Samuel for me. That would be brilliant. It's 2 Samuel, which is right at the beginning of the Bible. Not right at the beginning, like hmm, probably a fifth of the way through. Um, Chapter 23. And we're going for verses 11 and verse 12. Now, this passage is from a section which talks about David's mighty men. So we had King David. He was a great figure in the Old Testament. And he had these warriors that were like the (laughs) A-team. They were like, gangsters and uh, they went around and did all sorts of crazy things so the one that we're focusing on here is the third one out of these mighty men and we're starting at verse 11 and we're going to go down to verse 12 so it says next to him which is the the second one uh, was Shammah son of Agi the Hararite where the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field full of lentils. Israel's troops fled from them, but Shammah took his stand in the middle of the field. He defended it and struck the Philistines down, and the Lord brought about a great victory. I'm going to read that one more time. Next to him was Shammah, son of Agi, the Hararite. When the Philistines, who were the enemy, banded together at a place where there was a field full of lentils, Israel's troops fled from them. But Shammah took his stand in the middle of this field, He defended it and struck the Philistines down, and the Lord brought about a great victory. Now, that seems a fairly odd story to fit into this talk, but you'll see where I'm going. So there's this guy, Shammah, a bit of a gangster, 
And he finds himself on the edge of this field. Now, I don't know what he feels this connection is with this field or this, this patch, this, this, part, this bit of land. Um, it might be that he's invested in it. It might be that he's sown into it. It might be that he feels some sort of sense of ownership over it. It might even just be that he recognises that the Philistines shouldn't be there. For whatever reason, he is, feels called to defend this patch of land, this field. And he brings about a great victory for God. Now, I wonder, could it be that some of you guys are placed in communities as your patch? And that God is saying to you, I have called you to this patch, this community, for a time, for a purpose, for a reason. And I am calling you to defend that patch for me. And it could be defend it against a whole load of things. It could be against gossip. It could be against dishonesty. It could be against some issues-based stuff. It could be anything. Could it be that God is saying to you, I have called you there to say, not on my patch. I am not standing for that on my patch, and I'm going to bring about a victory for God. We um, had a conversation in Resound recently, which is the guys that left, uh, they're kind of like 13 to 16-year-olds in church, and we looked through this passage, and I said to them, is there anything that you feel that God is calling you to defend? Has God given you a patch, put a patch on your heart, and said to you, defend it? And if so, what against? Some of the answers that we got back from them were these. Uh, Defending their generation against human trafficking. Defending their generation against how the media portrays women. Um, Defending their generation against how the church is portrayed. That young people should all have Bibles. That their friends aren't Christians. And one of those young people this week has come to, to Andy and myself and said, you know what, I don't just think that I'm called to defend it. I think that God wants me to set up a charity. They're talking about defending against poverty, all these different stuff. These are the 13 to 16-year-olds in our church. As an adult, I find that very challenging. And I think, as an elder to them and as their role model, how much more am I called to that, to demonstrate that? And what has God got in store for me? And so I want to ask you, has God given you a patch to defend? Now, I'm not saying that you like your patch or that you would choose to be there. That isn't the criteria. Has God called you to a place? And called you to defend that from stuff to bring about a victory from God. Because it's God that does the fighting. But we do the groundwork. Now I don't think it's just this defending process. If you look back right to the beginning of time. Um, not only did we have, uh, we sort of given, have this patch idea. But there were two people and they were given a garden. And in that garden, those two people were given a mandate, and it had two things in it. First of all, go and steward this this patch. Go and steward this garden. Go and look after it. Defend it, if you will. Secondly, so go and multiply. Now, Adam and Eve, this is who I'm talking about, they should, yeah, they had kids, but I don't think that it was about that. As I said before, I think that spirit-filled community expands. It can't help but expand. It multiplies. And so what is it that has to happen to something to make it grow or multiply? Something has to be sown. So I would ask you the question, not only what are you defending your patch from, but what are you sowing into your patch? Whether you're aware of it or not, you are sowing something through the way that you talk about it, the way that you think about it. You're sowing something into that patch and whatever you sow will grow. So what is it that you're sowing into it? And this could look very simple. It could be that um, you are 
praying for, are you praying for your patch? Whatever you feel your patch is. Um, one of the things um, that was been shared this morning was this idea that sowing into something isn't necessarily doing more, but it might just be doing different. One of the ways that God really challenged me on this is that sometimes, just occasionally, I go for a little run, and uh, I was running and I realized that when I run, I don't do anything. I just listen to music and concentrate on trying not to collapse. But actually, what if I prayed for the places that I ran past? So it's not necessarily me taking on additional stuff. It's just changing my mindset in the stuff that I do, going on a prayer run rather than a try-and-survive-it run. How are you sowing into your area? If If it's a geographical patch, do you pick up litter? Like, do you take ownership over that patch enough to pick up a bit of litter? Do you sow into that patch financially? Do you bless the local business? Do you like invest in the local businesses? Do you buy from local business, which is what the life group idea is about, rather than going and buying from big chain organisations? So you're sowing economically into the area. If your patch is a group of people, are you really giving those people time? Are you praying for those people? Are you listening to those people? Are you forgiving them? How are you speaking about those people? Not only are we called to defend a patch, we're called to sow into it. Um, we're going to go very shortly into a time of communion. Um, the response this morning is kind of a twofold one. First of all, it will be thinking about us as a church, as a body of people, and then it will be this idea of expanding out into the community. So for the first section, we're going to take communion. Uh, The reason that we're taking communion is because the one thing in the church that is common ground is that we believe that Jesus died, that he came back to life again, um, and he did that for us. God chose to come to earth in human form, which is mind-blowing in itself, that he then chose to die and come back to life so that we could have a relationship with God and nothing will get in the way of it. When it comes down to it, that is the church's common ground. That's why we're here. And so we're going to take communion as it goes round. Um, the bread and the wine will come to you where you're sat and just at your leisure, take some bread, drink some wine. But the idea is that this represents God's body or Jesus's body. So the bread is the flesh and the, the wine is the idea of blood. But we're doing this because God has also called us to be one body. Jesus died for, for his church the idea that we are one body of people. And as we do this, as this happens, I'm going to read a passage of scripture over you. And what I'd really love is as you're reflecting on what God's done for you as a response, how can we be a better community to each other? Are there people that we need to speak to? Is there forgiveness that needs to happen? Is it that we just really need to be more aware of who walks through those doors on a Sunday and finding common ground with people? Do we, if we're struggling to fit in, need to think, I I need to be disciplined in discovering community with people? So as the bread and the wine goes round, just be praying through some of this stuff and maybe just say, God, if there's anything that I need to change, just challenge me on it and I'm going to listen. So if the guys would like to come out who are going to give out communion, um, I, like I said, I'm going to be reading a passage during, um, during this, and the bread and the wine will come round. Just feel free to take it as you will. Um, so I'm also going to be reading this passage from Corinthians. The body is a unit. Though it is made up of many parts, though all its parts are many, They form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether we were Jews or Greeks or slaves or free. 
and we were all given one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And if the foot should say, well, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just how he wanted them to be. If they were called all to be one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet that I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need um, need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body. And he's given greater honour to the parts that lacked it. So that there should be no division in the body but that all its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Father God, teach us what it means to be one body. Father, I thank you that that you love and know each one of us, that you see that we're different, but you also see what we have in common. And Father God, I pray that you would help us to love each other. Just really, really love each other. A love that is stronger than differences, a love that is stronger than history. God, thank you that you gave your body so that we could be one body. But thank you, Father, that you also gave your body so that this world could be transformed. Amen. Okay, so I said that there were kind of two parts to this. The first part is what goes on with us. The second part, I think, is what goes on out there. And um, this idea of God giving you a patch, or God putting a community on your heart, Now, this patch could be geographical, it could be Hells Owen, it could be wherever you live, wherever you work. It could be a group of people, it could be family, it could be a generation, it could be people that you don't even know. It could be a nation, it could be all kinds of things. But what I want to do is give you a chance to respond to God over your patch. And if you don't have a patch, but you would like one... um, then a chance to say to God, God, break my heart for someone, something, somewhere. I want to defend it. I want to fight. God, I want to see your victory on this earth. And so if you believe that God has given you a patch, or you're saying to God, God, I'd really like one. In a second, not quite now, I'm going to ask you to stand. And I'm going to just pray over you. And as we pray, I want you to be praying for your patch or praying that God will give you one. And just calling out to God. And then once we've done that, we're going to sing um, one more song at the end. Uh, before we finish. But if you believe that God has put a community on your heart, a people
people group, a geography, a patch for you to defend and for you to sow into, then I'd really love you to stand up just to represent it right now. If you believe that God has called you to a people group, a geography, a place, a patch that you are going to say, do you know what? Not on my patch. Father God, I thank you so much for each of these individuals and I thank you for the patches that each of them represent. God, I pray that you would help them to be so aware of the issues and the battles that are going on in each of those patches, in each of those communities. And I pray that you will equip each person standing to defend that patch, God. To say, do you know what? There will not be depression here. There will not be um, girls being trafficked, young people being trafficked. There will not be um, a sense of broken families in this area. Father God, I pray that whatever you have called... Uh, your people to defend their patch against God I pray that you will bring about a victory in that place and God I pray that this week you will help them to find new and creative ways to sow into that patch whether it be through prayer whether it be through finance whether it be through just more conscientious living God help us to learn how to do what we do differently to sow into the patches that you have placed us in. And God, for those people who are in patches that they don't really want to be in, God, I pray for as long as you have called them there that you'll break their their hearts for those patches again. God, let us see change in this week. As we go into this week, Father, let something begin to happen in that ground. Amen. Brilliant. Um, If you guys want to stay standing, we're going to go into our last song. So if anyone who isn't standing and can stand would like to stand, you're welcome to. Um, This last song, I'm kind of, I've realised it's a bit of a funny song to sing. We're not going for hokey hokey or anything, don't worry. Um, But it's a song that we kind of have to choose to engage in. And it's a song that I would love you to sing over wherever it is that you believe God's placed you to be. Um, And choose to worship. It's that discipline of discovering this discipline of going God I don't know this song necessarily that well I'm going to give it my everything because God I believe that you have called me to this patch and I will sing these words over this patch so as we go into this last song let's really just show God that we are serious about what he's called us to